Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. So those of you who have sisters, I didn't grow up with any sisters, but those of you who have sisters, you know intuitively, you know deeply and clearly that there's a big difference between men and women. I, the only, the, one of the first indicators I had that uh, men and women, boys and girls, were very different was a, uh, a volunteer job that I had during the summertime where I was helping on the janitorial staff at uh, Hudson High School. Uh, which meant that I had to do some cleaning of bathrooms. And I thought, like, listen, I thought men were gross, like our bathrooms. It's nothing compared to how disgusting women's bathrooms are. Like, it, it, I am one million percent positive. They do not. It's far worse than you could imagine. This is the truth. This is the truth. All right, so we are very different in many ways. We're very different in many ways, right? But we're also, we have, we have so much in common. We have a shared humanity, right? We have an equal humanity. We are equal in dignity before God the Father. We have a shared humanity, all of that, but we are very different. And the word here is complementary. Say complementary. Complementary doesn't mean like, hey, you look really good today. That's not what complementary means. It means like something corresponds to something else. Right? Something corresponds to something else. Masculinity and femininity, they correspond to each other, right? All of these things. Now, like I said, I didn't have any sisters growing up. I had one younger brother, um, so I didn't have like the up-close and personal experience of learning this. But, so apart from that like janitorial job, right? So one of the, t- one of the uh, seasons of my life where I really began to like, I don't know, see how different boys and girls are from early, early on was... Um, when I was on my, let me put it this way, um, my internship. So when you're in seminary, you, you're in seminary for nine years if you come in out of high school. So from freshman year of college all the way up to what's called fifth theology, so five years of graduate school, you're in nine years of, of schooling. So in year seven of the nine, you do this thing called a, an internship. So I was assigned to a parish in Painesville, Ohio, where I lived at the parish, I worked with the priests, all those things. But I had a day off. I had a day off, which was really cool. It was the first time I ever had a day off. So on my day off, I would come home to my parents' house. Hang on, Coleman. I would come home to my parents' house, and um, I would uh, often spend a good chunk of the afternoon hanging out with my really, really good friends, Mark and Lauren, uh, and their kiddos. So I became the godfather of one of these little girls, the one who's uh, pulling at her hair. So these twins, this is Rosie and Lily. This is when they were like one and a half. But um, I spent a lot of time with them. I spent a lot of time with them, watching them all grow up. And um, Rosie there, that's my goddaughter. That Her twin there is Lily. But they're in fourth grade now. Anyway, so I would, uh, I would be with them. So I, one, of the, one of the memories I have that was just so funny, the difference between boys and girls. So I'd be over at their house. We'd be, the twins would be like, I don't know, four years old, before kindergarten, so preschool age. We'd be sitting on the ground all afternoon making all sorts of, like, little scenes with stuffed animals and Barbies and like I'd be drafted into like play like the king for something or like how old the dolls right so I was that was my job and then their brother Augie who was in kindergarten he would come home from school and like he would take his backpack and whip his backpack off and he would come into the family room where the girls and I had been playing so nicely on the floor and Augie would come in you've got all the stuffed animals looking really cute all arranged on the floor what do you think he would do 
he would come in like Godzilla, right? Just absolutely, absolutely destroy it. Absolutely destroy it. I'm telling you, it never, ever failed. It never, ever failed, right? So, like, they would be on the ground crying their eyes out. He would just be, like, ripping Barbie's heads off and chucking them across the room, right? It was, it was awful and also so funny. It was so funny, right? Like, that's exactly what boys do. That's exactly what boys do. Here's something fascinating about boys and girls. I don't know if you know this, but when, when, when they do studies of these things, when they ask boys and girls to, like, like they say, here's some, here's some crayons, here's some paper, just draw something. They don't tell them what to draw, they just say, draw something. On average, and like for the most part, boys end up drawing something that's like an action, like something's exploding, something's moving, something's being, like a rocket's being shot off, something like that. Girls, on average, for the most part, they'll often draw like scenes or people or, or things, right? There's a difference there, there's a difference there. We're just different. We're just different. So one of the things that, uh, this is important too about boys and girls, that like not every boy, like not every boy is the same. Like there's not just like one right way to be a boy. Um, now look, like some, some boys love watching sports. Some boys love professional football, right? Like you know everything about every player on the field. You know where they grew up. You know what position they played in high school. You know all of their stats, you know everything about them, how they're doing this season, you know what their dog's name is, you know what body parts are injured, like you know everything about them, right? Now look, like here's, here's the total God's honest truth, like that was, not, that was not me growing up, that was not me at all growing up. Like I, if given the opportunity to watch something like, like to watch the NFL or to watch like Planet Earth, I was watching Planet Earth. Like I was fascinated by, like oh David Hattenborough man, come on. Oh, that guy. Here we are watching the wild antelope. Yeah. I, if given the, if. I would always love how there's like this innocent antelope being like brutally ripped apart by lions. It's like, now here we have this beautiful lion. Yes, yes. Like so calmly just narrating this. So if given the opportunity, I was watching like, I was watching science shows. I was watching Discovery Channel. I was watching stuff like this. Like, I, I love Bill Nye. I love Bill Nye. Some boys, some boys love to read and just get absolutely lost in books. Some boys don't love to read. I didn't like to read. Some boys love uh, theater. Like I did theater when I was growing up in fourth grade, all the way up through my senior year of high school. And like I had some of my greatest memories doing that stuff. I had some of my, made some of my best friends. In that setting, right? So I, uh, I mean, I did play sports. I just didn't like watch, watching sports on TV. I, I did soccer all through my childhood into to high school. I did, uh, I played tennis, but like my main sport, you guys know this, but my main sport was Taekwondo. Like I fought people. I, I was, I trained, I fought internationally. Like one of my favorite things to do was to try and knock the person out I was fighting as fast as possible. Because I, I, so I, I fought in the heavyweight division because I'm what they call husky, right? Um, so I was in the heavyweight division, which meant that I really didn't want to have three three-minute rounds. If I could knock the guy out in the first round, that was awesome. So that was my goal. Um, and that's what I did. That's what I did. I was really good at it, right? I was really, really good at it. So here's what I mean. Here's, here's the point. Here's the point. Society, culture... 
society and culture, they want to tell us that there's only like one way to be masculine. There's only one way to be a boy, and that's garbage, right? Here's the, here's the truth. Your biology makes you a boy, not your interests. I'm going to say that again because this is so huge for our culture today. Your biology is what makes you a boy, not your interests. You can, you can be interested in all sorts of things as a boy. It doesn't change it, right? There are many, 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 many desires in our hearts as boys, and it's, it's just awesome to be a boy. I think, I think being a boy is easier than being a girl. I'm just going to say it. All right, so, uh, <clears throat> so you, guys, you guys know my story. You guys know my story. You know I didn't go to church much growing up. Um, <laughs> I went to PSR. I went to PSR. And uh, I was a PSR dropout after second grade. And uh, I remember seeing like, a post, like posters in our PSR classroom that looked something like this. Like... My grandma was the one who dragged me to church every once in a while. And like I, so we didn't go to church often, but when we did go to church, what I remember thinking, the impression that I got was that most people, like most people in church were, uh, most people in church were, were women. Like the songs were girly and cheesy. Like the preaching, it always felt like everyone was just saying, we just want you to be nice. And like Jesus seemed to be like this sort of mamby-pamby, like sissy that he just, like, that's who, that, that was the presentation. Like, you're given this impression that Jesus makes men, like, into, like, sissies. I don't know how else to put it. Like, Jesus and the church are, like, this, it's a thing for girls. Like, that was the impression that I got, like, when I was your guy's age. That Jesus and the church are a thing for girls. It took, it took me a long, long time to see that Jesus isn't a threat. I'll put it this way. That Jesus isn't a threat to masculinity. That Jesus is not a threat to boyhood. He's not a threat to my masculinity. That Jesus is actually the one who perfects our masculinity. I'm going to say that again. Listen. Jesus perfects our masculinity. If you want to be a man, you need Jesus. Like some of the greatest men who've ever lived, the greatest men who've ever lived are the saints. And these are men who are wildly in love with the Lord. Right? I'm thinking about like, like, like this guy. Anybody know who this is? Nope. Ever, who's this? That's Pier Giorgio Frassati. Pier Giorgio Frassati was a young dude who died around the age of 24. He was a mountaineer. He loved just climbing mountains. And look at that pipe he's got. Love that. He, was, he, was, he smoked pipes. He skied. He was, he was an amazingly manly man. It's just, it's just how his pants look. So... This was an amazing dude. This was an absolutely amazing dude. When he died, when he died, so he was, he was an aristocrat. He was an aristocrat, which means that he came from the upper parts of society. And when he, he spent most of his life um, taking care of the poor. And when he died, there was like 40,000 people who came to his funeral. And his family were like, who are all these people? And it was all the people he took care of. This is an amazingly like masculine dude. I'm also thinking about... Um, Nope, not that one. I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about John Paul II. I'm thinking about Saint John Paul II. Anybody know what's happening right now in this picture? Sebastian, what's going on? He got shot right here. There was a communist hired assassin named Aliaka, who had never made, never failed to miss a target, never failed to take out the target he was given. From ten feet away, Aliaka fired three bullets into John Paul II's abdomen, and he went down. This is a man who suffered, hand down for a second, this is a man who suffered assassination attempts 
This was a very strong man who brought down communism, by the way. Like, he was instrumental in the fall of the Eastern Bloc. He brought down communism. This is a man who was so powerful and so strong and so convicted of who he was, he went back to the jail where this, where this would-be assassin was held, and he faced this man, and the man, for like 10 months, was asking one question, how are you alive? You shouldn't be alive. I've never missed, how are you alive? And John Paul II said to him, your hand fired the gun, another hand guided the bullet. Amazing, absolutely amazing. I'm also thinking about this dude. This is St. Ignatius of Loyola. Now, let me tell you about this story, this guy. So he was in a battle, I think it was the Battle of Pamploma. I could be wrong on that. But um, a cannonball came and smashed into his leg. Hurt him a lot, right? Broke his leg. So he's in this, uh, this hospital in Manresa. He's having his leg fixed and set. So they, they fix the bone, they set it, it heals, and he noticed when he put on his tights, because you know, men, in that, men back in the day, they wore tights. Manly men wore tights, right? They were, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right, right? This is what he noticed. He noticed that the bone, though, was like sticking out and it looked gross with his tights on. So he asked them, I want you to re-break the bone, shave it off so it looks good in my tights. Yeah, that's a man who wanted to look good in his yoga pants, right? So this is, uh, you got to look good if you're going to wear tights. You don't want any bones protruding, right? You don't want that. You don't want that. All right, let's go back to this guy. Let's go back to this guy, John Paul II. This is a great quote. He says this, life with Christ is a wonderful adventure. Say adventure. Life with Christ is a wonderful adventure that like the life of discipleship, right? To follow Jesus, right? To be a disciple, to follow Jesus is the life that's the most thrilling. It's the life that invites us into the greatest challenges to fight the, like, the scariest monsters who actually are real. Like, I think back on when I wanted to be a Power Ranger when I was a little boy. Like, the reality is, the reality is, I actually do fight real monsters now. Like, like the, the only monsters that are actually real are demons. And like, as a priest, my job is to combat demons. Right, so like, that desire as a boy to be a Power Ranger actually is fulfilled now as a priest, I get to wear cool costumes too. That's pretty sick. Real men, here's the point. Real men follow Jesus. Real men follow Jesus. But like I said, when I was your age, I didn't see that. I didn't think that Jesus was a man worth following or emulating or getting to know. I didn't think he was worth that. So I want to tell you a story that will maybe help us think about Jesus in a slightly different way. So in the Bible, we have this idea, this principle called typology. I know some of us have been studying this at Sacred Heart School. But typology is basically this, that in the Old Testament, there are people and places and things that foreshadow like realities in the New Testament. So there's people, places, events in the Old Testament that point to Jesus in the New Testament. So we say things like, Jesus is the new Adam, right? So the Old Testament, we have Adam. Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus is the new Moses, right? There was a lawgiver in the Old Testament who was deliverer, who led his people from slavery into freedom. Jesus is the new Moses. We say Jesus is the new David, right? David was the king. Jesus is the new definitive king, right? Jesus is the new David, right? And if, if Jesus is the new version of these things, is he less or more than the Old Testament version? More. more. He, like whatever the Old Testament version was, Jesus is that and then some. He's that and then some. He's more, he's greater than the, than the Old Testament version, right? So here's the story. I want to tell you the story again of David, 
for us to get a sense of who Jesus is. If Jesus is the new David, we need to remind ourselves who the old David was to get a sense of who the new David is. Does this make sense? You with me? Okay, so here's the story. You've got the armies of Israel facing off against the Philistine army. Now, the Philistine army is an army of pagans. They're not Jews, right? These are, as the Bible calls them, uncircumcised pagans. And they are coming against the enemies of Israel and Israel's God, right? So you've got the, the Philistines on one side of the mountain. There's a valley and the Israelite army on the other side of the mountain. So out of the Philistine camp comes a mighty warrior whose name is Goliath. 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 The, now, the scripture describes him as a as a big man. We think of him as a giant, right? We say the, the giant Goliath. He's, he was, I mean, he was a tall guy. He was probably like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, somewhere in there, right? Those are scrub numbers. Those are not really giant Shaquille O'Neal numbers, right? But back then, that was a really tall dude. And then the scripture describes him as having like this massive shield, and this massive spear, and this massive helmet, all this huge armor, all of this stuff. So in the ancient world, what they would often do if they were coming into a battle, what they would do is they would select a champion from each side to face each other. So like why slaughter your entire army if you can have one champion face another champion and decide the battle? So Goliath shouts out. He says, why have you come out to draw for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul, the king of Israel? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Then he says this, give me a man that we may fight together. I want to show you a clip that kind of captures this. Who's seen the movie Troy? Anybody seen the movie Troy? All right. Here's an image of this idea of one champion fighting another champion. After years. Okay, so, so you've got Goliath on one side and the Israelite army on the other side. This goes on for like 40 days. He's just taunting the Israelites. He's taunting the Israelites. Now, David, who is at this point, he's like a young boy. He's, he's honestly probably like 14, 15 years old in the story. So David, who is, uh, he's sent by his father Jesse to the encampment of the Israelites to bring his brothers who are soldiers. He's, brought to, he's sent to them to bring them like provisions that they would you know, eat, right? So David hears, he hears what Goliath is saying and he's inflamed with like anger. Like how could you let this, this Philistine say what he's saying and insult the God of Israel? How could you let this happen? So Saul, the king, like is talking to David. David says to Saul, your servant, I, I will go and fight him. I will go and slay him for you. Saul says, uh, no. This is not a good idea, David. You are a boy, and he's been a warrior for his whole life, right? So David responds. This is, this is what David says. David responds, look, I 
tend the sheep, and that means that I have to protect my sheep. This is what the scripture says. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. Talking about the lion. <laughs> Lions have beards. And smote him and killed him, right? This is what David is saying, right? So David's saying, like, as a shepherd, my job is to protect the sheep. And sometimes the sheep get attacked by lions and bears. Now, imagine you're a shepherd watching a lion, a lion just come and grab one of your sheep. What do you think you would do? I'll tell you what I would do. I would, I would scream and I would run, right? Like, I don't think I would do, right? David says, I go after the lion. I go after the lion and remove the sheep from its mouth and then I kill the lion. Like, What? That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Okay, so Saul the king, he relents. He says, okay, all right, David, I will let you fight Goliath, but I insist that you wear my armor. So Saul says, David, I'll let you fight, but you have to wear my armor. So he puts Saul's helmet on. He puts his, his breastplate on. He makes him carry his huge shield. But David's like, like this, this is all too big for me. Like, I can't use this. I can't move in this. I can't do anything in this. So David takes all the armor off. He's just in his, like, shepherd's cloak. He goes down to the river. It says he finds five smooth stones, puts them in his shepherd bag, and he goes and stands in front of Goliath. Goliath says this. He sees David coming towards him, who's this little boy, essentially, unarmed. And Goliath says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Goliath then curses David, and he curses David's God. He says, come to me. Goliath says, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David who's standing there listening to him, cuts him off and says, he just interrupts him, he says, you come to me with sword and spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will, I will tread you down and cut off your head. And I, will give you the, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And that all the earth may know that there is no God in Israel, and that no God except the God of Israel, and that this assembly may know that the Lord saves. Listen, the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and, the, and he will give you into our hand. So what, do we, what happens next? Donnie, what happens next? With what? He, had, he puts it in the sling, and right? lands the stone into Goliath's head, lands him dead, falls down. He, he, walks over to, he walks over to Goliath and removes his head with his own sword, just like he said. He says, that all may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. Okay, now guys, listen, this story is about so many things. This story is about, like I said, this story about David, the new David, Jesus, the new David, and how Jesus confronts and fights like an enemy far worse than Goliath. And he overthrows this army far more fearsome than the Philistines. This is a story about how God works through and how God chooses the unlikeliest of heroes to carry out his will. Like no one thought David was going to be able to do this. Like this is a story about the heart of a man. This is a story about the heart of a man. Like the heart of a man wants to protect, to fight for the good, to defend the good, to stop evil. Like the heart of every man says, I want to confront and stop evil, to stop bad things from happening to people. 
This is a heart of a man who's courageous, right? Every man wants to be courageous and be like willing to step into the fight. This is a story about how God does amazing things through, through a boy who's willing to trust in a power that's bigger than him. This is a story about like the journey into manhood, right? David says, I fought, I fought lions and I fought bears. That made me ready to fight Goliath. Like there are things that we have to fight along the way that prepare us for the great battle that we'll face in our lives, right? This is a story about knowing who you are. Because the moment that David thought, maybe I'll put on Saul's army or his armor, like I'll wear Saul's armor, he couldn't do it. Like he forgot who he was for a moment. This is a story about knowing who you are. He had to fight in the way that God made him. Like, he couldn't wear someone else's armor. He couldn't fight the way someone else fights. This is also a story about facing big and hard things, things that are scary. Because all of us in our lifetimes, we will face hard things, scary things, things that are, seem way bigger than us, like situations that seem so much bigger. And maybe you're, maybe you're facing something like that right now. I don't know. This is a powerful story that reveals the heart of Jesus, the heart of a man.